Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Adam Becker will join us to discuss what is real. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, quantum mechanics is perhaps one of humanity's finest scientific achievements, but what is the meaning of quantum mechanics? Well, this is the topic explored in the new book, What is Real? The Unfinished Quest for the Meaning of Quantum Physics. The author, Dr. Adam Becker, is a science writer with a PhD in astrophysics. He's written for the BBC and New Scientist and is a visiting scholar at the University of California, Berkeley's Office for History of Science and Technology. Again, the new book is What is Real? And uh, Dr. Becker, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Certainly a fascinating topic, especially for, uh, I think, anyone who's sort of grown up in, in the era of quantum physics. Uh, I'm curious, what got you interested in this topic? Well, like you said, you know, we live in the era of quantum physics. It's been around for almost 100 years now. Uh, and basically every single aspect of modern technology runs on quantum physics. And so when I started reading popular science books when I was a kid, because uh, I was, you know, a big nerd, still am a big nerd. I read about quantum mechanics. It was, it was one of the things that showed up in these books. And when these books talked about things, you know, other parts of science, like when they talked about things like relativity, you know, they, these things sounded strange, but the books always gave a, a very coherent and sensible story about what was going on. But when it came to quantum mechanics, things got fuzzy and I was very confused. And I figured, okay, well, you know, if and when I actually learn this subject, this will make more sense to me. And so then when I went off to college and actually learned quantum mechanics, things made less sense. It didn't make more sense. And, uh, and so I started asking questions about what's going on here, uh, what's happening in quantum physics, and by and large did not get very satisfying answers from my physics professors. And so I went hunting for better answers, and long story short, that's what led me here. Oh, well, I think anyone who's dealt with this has run up against the same thing and, and probably just uh, dismissed it as being, oh, well, I, I, I must just not be intelligent enough to understand what's going on. Is, it, <laughs> is there really no explanation that's... I think, I think it's actually more that there are multiple explanations for what's going on in the world of quantum physics. What's frustrating about quantum physics is not that it's strange. You know, there are plenty of strange theories about how the world works. You know, at, at, at some point in history, every new scientific theory was considered strange. Newton's physics seems normal to us now, but when he came up with it, people thought it was strange. So it's not that quantum physics is strange. It's that it's, it's difficult to decipher what it's actually saying about the world around us because some of the strangest features of quantum physics don't show up in our everyday lives, like this you know, phenomenon of superposition where you can have something in two places at once that shows up in the tiny world of the quantum, but it doesn't seem to show up in our everyday world, but our everyday world is made of these quantum objects 
you know, we're made of atoms. Atoms are made of subatomic particles. Subatomic particles certainly obey quantum physics and stands to reason that we do too. And in fact, the best experiments suggest that we do. So the question is, where does all of that strange behavior go? Why don't we see it in our everyday lives? And how do these tiny odd things lead to our normal everyday lives? And the standard answer to that question, and this is somewhat uncharitable, is to say, shut up, that's a dumb question, don't ask questions like that. And that just seems, you know, profoundly unsatisfying. And it, it always did to me when I was given that answer. And it turns out it's not just profoundly unsatisfying, it's also sort of based on a bankrupt philosophy of science. And when I went and talked with more philosophically minded physicists, and when I went and talked with philosophers of physics, I found that there were other answers that were available, but generally not discussed in physics classes, not because they don't make sense, but because that's just not how we teach the subject, because of sociological and cultural and philosophical reasons, not for any good scientific reason. Yeah, as you note in the book, the history of the, the interpretation of quantum mechanics, at least the one that's given in all the textbooks, is the so-called Copenhagen interpretation, yes. and that's gone to sort of dominate. Well, how did this come about, and why is it why is it so persistent? Yeah, uh, so the Copenhagen interpretation is the thing that I just said, you know, somewhat uncharitably, is, is uh, you know, uh, the it's usually summed up as shut up and calculate, which, you know, to be fair... Calculating with quantum mechanics, you can answer all sorts of amazing questions and build all sorts of crazy things. Like you can build lasers, you can build space probes, you can explain why the sun shines or why objects stay solid. So quantum mechanics is phenomenally successful. But why do the and and that's part of the answer to the to your question? Because quantum physics is phenomenally successful, this idea of just ignoring these thorny abstract problems at the heart of the theory just didn't seem like a fruitful avenue of research for a really long time because there was so much good work to be done. And to be fair, there was a lot of good work to be done. You know, uh, uh, like I said, most of the technology in our modern world is built on quantum physics. I mean, every single computer chip is based on the principles of quantum physics. We wouldn't know how to build integrated circuits without that theory. We wouldn't know how to build almost anything. We wouldn't be able to understand why metals conduct electricity without quantum physics. So I'd say part of the reason is just the phenomenal success of the theory. Uh, and another part of the reason is that, you know, very early on, people questioned this Copenhagen interpretation, this sort of lack of answers. Uh, and some of them were very famous physicists, most notably Albert Einstein. But Einstein spent years looking for something that was more satisfying to him, and he couldn't find it. And so physicists were left with this choice. Either you bang your head against the wall on these puzzles that even Einstein couldn't solve, or you contribute to one of the greatest scientific revolutions in the history of humanity. And it seems like a pretty clear choice. And all you have to do to do that second thing is not worry about these real problems at the heart of the theory. And so after a few generations of that, it went from we don't want to think about those things to we shouldn't think about these things. We don't think about these things. And that's unfortunate because the few people who did actually work in that area, despite the bias against it among the physics community, actually developed a lot of really fascinating ideas uh, that have led to some really interesting technological breakthroughs and scientific breakthroughs. 
is odd because you you think that even though you can make progress without understanding the underlying reality of what what quantum mechanics is saying, you could probably go far. But you would think you'd go further if you actually knew what what was driving everything. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And there are some physicists working at you know the cutting edge of physics today uh, who think that we will need to have a better understanding of quantum physics in order to come up with the next theory. And, you know, I can't say what the next theory is going to be or how we're going to come up with it. So who knows if they're right, but I think it's very plausible that they're right. Uh, Certainly, if you look at the history of science, it's much easier to sort of go beyond the present ideas to future ideas once you have a better grasp of what your current theories are saying. So, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, by not looking at what the theory is really saying about the world around us, we are probably missing out. And the people who have looked at it have found some really surprising ideas, like this idea of uh, the many worlds interpretation of quantum physics, which has definitely become the most popular alternative to just shutting up and calculating, the, the most popular alternative to the Copenhagen interpretation, at least in popular representations of quantum physics. Or this this other thing, uh, the pilot wave interpretation, which is much less well-known, but it says that the quantum world is made of particles surfing on waves. <laughs> Uh, which, as it turns out, can perfectly reproduce all of the predictions of quantum physics. Is the tide, do you think, beginning to turn? Do you, or do you think more people are, are beginning to see the value in approaching this, or is it still somewhat uh, forbidden? I think that the tide is definitely turning. I think that it started turning a few decades ago, thankfully. I think that uh, if, if, if someone had written this book, that I wrote, uh, somebody had written a book on this subject, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, it would have a very different ending and it would have gotten a very different reception from the physics community. But yeah, the tide is definitely turning, you know, 40, 50 years ago, the Copenhagen interpretation was essentially universally accepted. You know, every physicist thought it was correct and there was not a general acceptance that there was some kind of problem here. I think today, A lot of physicists give lip service to the Copenhagen interpretation, but I think most physicists understand that there is something funny going on at the heart of quantum physics. They just may or may not care about it. And that's fine. You know, not every physicist has to care about every other physicist's work. But yeah, I mean, there's still more pushback, I think, from other physicists to the idea of doing work in this area, but it's nothing like it was a generation ago. It's much, much better. And alternatives to the Copenhagen interpretation, especially the many worlds interpretation, are much more widely known. And there's a much larger fraction of the physics community that has adopted those alternatives. Do you think there are particular centers where where it's becoming concentrated groups of individuals uh, focusing on these issues? There are definitely some places where people are more open to working on things like this. Like, uh, for example, the first place that comes to mind is uh, there's a place up in Canada actually called the Perimeter Institute. Uh, It's in Waterloo, Canada. It's Ontario, where questions like this are just sort of the bread and butter of the Institute. You know, it's not the only thing they do, but it's, it's very... It's a place that's very open to talking about these things. And there are other places like that. Um, Oh, there's... Yeah, it, 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 there's there's a place called Chapman University down in Southern California where people work on these things. There are a lot of other places where you will find people working on this stuff. There's a good group of researchers working on these things in the New York City area. 
So Lawn, California, actually, which makes it a really nice place for me to be. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, there are some centers of activity on this stuff. And then there are places where there's not much work on it. And I mean, in that sense, it's like many other fields of physics. It's just that this one has a more colorful history and is still somewhat disreputable in the eyes of a significant fraction of physicists. Is it just because it sort of it borders on uh, some of the philosophical? Yeah, I think that I think that's exactly it. I think that it's a combination of, you know, physicists seeing this as a philosophical question and therefore irrelevant to their work, and also it has this complicated history, you know, involving Einstein and these other people, Bohr and and uh, and the later generations of physicists that I talk about in my book. As I said, I think the tide is turning. I think that most physicists don't look down on this, at least not quite as badly, but there are still some who do. I think, I think a lot of the pushback is this idea that somehow thinking about what quantum physics is telling us about the world is, quote, just philosophy and therefore not physics. And that really seems like a mistake to me for a couple of reasons. I mean, the first is physics is about the world, right? Our best physical theories tell us things about the world. They may not be perfectly correct. They may not tell us completely accurate stories about the world. But, you know, if our best physical theories, if a theory like quantum mechanics, which tells us so much about the world, which does such a good job of predicting such a stunning variety of phenomena, if it turns out that that theory bears no relationship to anything in the world, even if it's like a tenuous relationship or an approximate relationship, if it bears no relationship at all, the success of the theory would be a phenomenal coincidence. It would be a miracle. That just seems wrong. You know, how could this theory work so well if it wasn't somehow tied to something in the world? So there must be something in the world that quantum physics is about, even if it's just indirect or approximate. And the other thing is, physics and philosophy are and always have been pretty tightly connected. I mean, we do, when we do physics, we end up making a fair number of philosophical assumptions, and as well we should. You know, it's not a criticism. That's part of the job of science. You know, we we make assumptions about the kinds of explanations that are going to work. We think about how those explanations fit in with the rest of science. We make judgment calls, and these are good things for us to be doing, and part of that is philosophy. You know, we make judgments about what kinds of things are probable and improbable, and some of those things are based on mathematics, and some of them are based on philosophical viewpoints about how the world is. Uh, I'm curious, maybe to close. Do, do you think that this the quest for the meaning of quantum physics will ever be finished, or, or finished anytime soon? That's really hard to say. It's an excellent question, but it's just it's just really hard to say. I think that I think that eventually we will have a theory that goes beyond quantum physics, and when we have that theory, that theory will probably say, "Okay, this is the right way to think about quantum physics." You know, it's this approximation to this other theory, and this other theory, this better theory, will have some picture of the world that goes along with it, and that will inform the way we think about quantum physics. And we see that, you know, with other older theories that have been superseded by new theories. You know, we think about Newtonian physics now as as being an approximation to quantum physics and to relativity. And so that tells us something about the way to think about Newtonian physics. I think that quantum physics is eventually going to be in the same situation, but I think until that happens, I think it's unlikely that one interpretation will sort of win out over the others simply because the theory is 
so, you know, describes a world that's so unfamiliar. And it has to. There are various mathematical results in quantum physics that tell us, okay, you know, the quantum world must be odd. There must be something strange going on. So all of the interpretations of quantum physics have something weird about them, and they must. And that's fine. The world is a strange and complicated place. There's plenty of room for weirdness. But because of that weirdness, it's not straightforward to figure out how the theory works, you know, what it's telling us about the world. So until the day that we have a theory that goes beyond quantum physics, I don't think that we're going to have a definitive answer about what quantum physics is telling us. And in the meantime, I think it's best to be aware of all of the options. Uh, the new book is called What is Real? The Unfinished Quest for the Meaning of Quantum Physics, the author, Dr. Adam Becker. And uh, Dr. Becker, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Oh, thank you for having me. This was a real pleasure. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking. Oh, 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 oh,